are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. I'd like for you to turn your Bible to Ezekiel 37. Now you that study your Bible know exactly the content of this tremendous chapter of prophecy, Ezekiel 37. I'm not going to approach it from the standpoint of Bible prophecy, but instead I want us to note how Ezekiel had a revival in the boneyard. Ezekiel's revival in the boneyard. Now I'm aware of the fact that basically chapter number 37 can be interpreted only along with chapter 36 and 38 and 39. Uh, the uh, second coming of our Lord. I'm aware of that fact. And I know that the boneyard, where well do I know, is the whole house of Israel, scattered among the nations, disunited and scattered, that one day it will be brought back together and reestablished in the land of Israel. In fact, I'm convinced that process is going on now. Right. I believe it's been going on since World War Number 1. When the island of Decoration gave Israel back to the Jews a national home in 1918. Since then, Jews have been migrated from every nation on the earth, into which they've been scattered down for 2,000 years, since 70 AD, back to Israel, back to Jerusalem. And I believe that sincerely. The budding of the fig tree, I think, could be parallel with Ezekiel 37. But I'm not going to use the interpretation, but rather, on application. Now you Bible college students, I'm not bringing this sermon perspective to you, but in our hermeneutics course, we have a chapter that we call the application principle of Bible interpretation. Scripture first has an interpretation, and it's never right to use a scripture to make an application until first you clearly set forth the interpretation. And that's what I'm trying to do now. I'm aware that the text uh, is not necessarily a text for revival. I'm aware that basically it's prophecy relating to the end of the age, the regathering of the people, and the rebirth of the nation of Israel uh, as she was reborn, May the 15th, 1948. I'm aware of that fact. But I'd like to use it today uh, as a picture of revival. We're thinking about revival. We're preaching about revival. By the way, the Lord willing, tonight, I want to bring the first or maybe two or three sermons on revival under King Hezekiah in Judah and Jerusalem. And uh, some some tremendous lessons we can learn about the nature of revival, how revival comes, and what happens when revival does come by studying in uh, 2 Chronicles chapter number 30 and 31 about great King Hezekiah and the revival God gave to him in Jerusalem. I'll do that tonight, the Lord willing. So you bring your Bible, I'll do that uh, in the next several Sunday nights, to say the least. And so you bring your Bible for the message tonight. And uh, uh, and uh But now, I want to leave the foundation by bringing the message on revival. How Ezekiel had a revival in the boneyard. Uh, one of the most unusual portions of the Word of God is Ezekiel 37. Uh, the spiritual, all of you have heard about the uh, people sing their uh, spiritual song about uh, the, the ankle bone came to the leg bone and the leg bone came to the thigh bone 
and so on. Uh, I like to hear it. I once in a while I hear it on the radio, that spiritual song, and I like it. It's based upon Ezekiel 37 and what happened to the boneyard. Uh, when Ezekiel began to prophesy, it's a good spiritual, Negro spiritual song that I enjoy hearing from time to time. To say the least, it's an unusual chapter. We'll have to admit that. Surely no injustice is done, I don't think, for the scriptures, when we use it as an application. Uh, or use it uh, to bring a message on the method of revival in our day, as I plan to do in this particular message. There are about six things I will call to your mind. But before I call to your mind these six things, may I read to you Ezekiel 37, beginning with verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in an open valley and lo, they were very dry. And he said to me, uh, man, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. And again he said to me, prophesy unto these bones, and say to them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you and ye shall live. I will extend you upon you, and will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall live, and ye shall know that I am the Lord God. And so, I prophesied as I was commanded. I'd imagine with a great deal of reservation, but anyway, he said, I prophesied as I was commanded. It do me and you good to do a lot of things because God says so, rather than whether we understand it or not. There's so many people who say, well, I just don't understand, and I can't do anything I can't figure out. Many people get a hang-up about tithing. They're anti-tithers because they don't understand how God can help you use 90% to go further than 100% without tithing. Uh, you ought to do tithing because God commands it, not because you uh, can understand it. If you live long enough, you can, you can find out that God will do what he said, Prove me and see. The same thing is all about the amount of preaching. There's some folk that won't do much preaching unless they have instant results. They're not willing to preach by faith. Now we ought to preach whether we have results or not. Right. We ought to be faithful. Well, we ought to do what's right because we're commanded to do what's right. And so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, as I preached, that's what the word means at that particular point. There was a noise, and behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. When I beheld, lo, the sinew and the flesh came upon them, and the skin caught them above, and there was no breath in them. Then said he unto me, A prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath. Breathe upon these slain, that they may live. And so, I prophesied again, he obeyed, as they commanded me. Twice I've read that same thing in verse 7, and now I repeat it in verse 10. And so I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came un into them, 
and they lived and stood upon their feet an exceeding great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of, of Israel. That's twelve tribes. That's not ten, nor two. But that's twelve tribes. This British Israelism theory is exploded with verse number 11. The Armstrongism idea that the English-speaking people are the ten so-called lost tribes. Don't you believe a word of that? That isn't in the Bible. Uh, son of man, this is the whole house of Jacob. Israel and Jacob are the same person. This is the whole house of Jacob. Behold, they say, our bones are dried, our hope is lost, we're cut off uh, from our parts. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open up your graves and cause you to come out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And God is doing that exactly now. That's what the uh, chapter has to do with in the way in relation to prophecy, Bible prophecy. Well, let's make an application to revival from Ezekiel 37 for a moment and note several things about this great revival, uh, quotation mark, in this particular chapter. I think you note, know, first of all, uh, there was a vision of the need on the part of the prophet in verses 1 and 2. The Lord led me out, said Ezekiel, in the spirit and set me down in the midst of the valley where it was full of bones and caused me to pass round about them and look them over. And when I looked them over, Ezekiel said, I learned that there were very many and that they were very dry. A hopeless situation. He looked the situation over. He had a vision of the great need of that valley of dry bones. Is there any hope in that kind of a situation? And I'd imagine that Ezekiel might have thought there's no way in the world that anything could ever happen in this great valley of dead bones and dry bones. Why, it's beyond redemption. There's no way to salvage anything from this kind of a situation. And I'm sure that there are pastors and churches and deacons and evangelists that have the same thought in their mind from time to time when we go out uh, to conduct a meeting. I've been in churches where I, I felt, I think, much like Ezekiel might have felt. When I looked at the situation, I thought to myself, how dry, how dead, how impossible, nothing will ever happen, nothing could ever happen. But you know, no church has any kind of a situation but that God has a remedy for it. God is able out of that kind of deadness to revive and bring to life again. I believe God can do that. And Ezekiel looked at the situation and said, no way this could ever amount to anything. Uh, this church is gone. You might as well close the doors and sell the property and give it up. This church will never be revived. It's dead, uh, very dry, and no hope for it. We have that idea sometimes, don't we? But you know, God is able to work things. I marvel how God can and how God does. And when the Lord begins to work, He doesn't have to counsel with me or the Greenwood Ministerial Union or the Southern Baptist Convention or the PTL crowd or, or anybody else. God just does what He wants to do. And He can do what He wants to do when He wants to do it and how He wants to get it done, you see. Well, with God, there's nothing impossible. It looked impossible to Ezekiel when he saw that valley of disunited, disheveled, uh, dry bones, uh, 
no life, no enthusiasm, no hope. And there he stands in the middle of that valley about to be commanded to preach to them. Now I've preached to a lot of congregations in my life, but I don't think I've ever had the experience that Ezekiel had to preach to a valley of dry corpse or dry bones. And they were not even united when he first saw them. They were disjointed all over the whole valley. A leg bone here, a thigh bone over yonder, a foot bone here. None of them connected together. They were completely out of order and completely disunited and very dry, hopelessly uh, dead as far as Ezekiel is concerned. And he saw that. He had a vision of a great need. Now, I do believe that's the first uh, essential to a revival. Whether we have it in Tabernacle or any other church, the people of that community and the people of that church must catch a vision of, of their need to begin with and then a vision of what God can do with that particular need and with that particular situation. I don't think any situation is beyond hope. Not at all. Uh, even a little remote country church back in the mountains can have revival if they meet God's conditions. I tell you oftentimes about Uncle Billy Hawkeye over in Pickens County. I preached Uncle Billy years ago. He's been dead for a number of years. He was an old man uh, my age or older when I preached for him. But he passed a little church there in Pickens County. Uh, one room, seen about 100 people, maybe 150, with a few Sunday schools in the basement. Old ancient building, need repair, needed painting, needed a, a new building, in fact. But Uncle Billy was a praying man. He saw a bad situation in his own community. He began to pray and ask God to intervene and to do what he couldn't do. And do what other pastors had not done because that church had been there for years and years and years. And it was very, very poor. But I preached there very, very hopeless by a human standard of having any great uh, revival in that situation. But Uncle Billy kept holding on to God. At one certain, one summer, God gave him revival there in that little church up in East Nolly Valley in Pickens County. God gave him revival. And Uncle Billy brought a hundred people, most of them adults, a few young people and a few children, brought them out to a river bank and baptized a hundred people one Sunday afternoon out of that handful of a situation there in that valley. God can do it, you see. A hopeless situation is a challenge for God. And a hopeless situation ought to be a challenge for me. Ought to be a challenge for you. I sometimes think, uh, what I would do if I would not pass the tabernacle. I'm so glad God let me be here these 34 years. I'm glad God has given to me a faithful congregation of people. Uh, faithful in your place, faithful in Sunday school, faithful with your giving, faithful with the mission program. I'm so proud and happy about every one of you. But suppose I was not your pastor. Suppose I left tabernacle. Uh, I don't plan to, by the way. But suppose I left tabernacle and I took a little church back in the mountains way back in the mountains, with 25 or 30 people, or maybe less, and not much prospect of getting any more. Way back then, I preached in many of those churches, down through the years, many of them. Suppose I went to pastor one of them. I, I, I wonder if I could get from God what Uncle Billy got. I believe potentially I could. I believe that it's within the realm of possibility I could. Amen. I don't think God loves Uncle Billy a bit more than he loves me. Uh, and me a bit more than he loves Uncle Billy. What God did for him, 
you do for me. And God gave him revival out of an impossible situation in Pinkies County. God gave me a revival in an impossible situation. He can give any preacher an impossible situation. Any uh, revival in that kind of a situation. Any church is a door. Any church is a possibility. God can take a church dead as Ezekiel's boneyard and revive it. God's able to do it. And send blessings, send evangelism, send singers, send organizations, send money to get the gospel around the world throughout missionaries. God can take an impossible situation and make something out of it. You young preachers, when God sends you out, when you finish up your training, and God opens the door for you, you take that door without asking any questions. You step into that door without asking any questions. Too many men are looking for an ideal situation. What you need to do is to look for a situation. It matters not whether it's ideal or not. God can make it ideal. He can be as dead as this boneyard, and God can do something with it. Don't you turn down a door. Sometimes I think that about a radio program. You'd be surprised how many men would love to have the rights for an hour. But they're not willing to take a small radio station with just a handful of potential listeners and just stay with it and stay with it and stay with it and stay with it and stay with it. They want the rights for an hour overnight. Or they want the gospel hour overnight. But they won't stay with a little door. They walk off from a little door. And when you became, when you assumed that attitude, you're out of business and don't know it. You're, you're disqualified and don't know it. If you have the idea that you're too important to deal with a little church, or deal with a little door, or deal with a dead church, you're just too important for your own good. And you'll never amount to anything. I think a little radio station, 250 watt radio station in a small town, if it only has a potential audience of five or 10,000, is a great door. I mean, a great door. And I want to be just as faithful to that 250 watt radio station as I would be with a 50,000 watt radio station. No. If you can only be faithful when the, when the situation is ideal, you're unfaithful. If everything's got to be just like you want it, delivered to your silver planter, you're, you're not qualified. You're just a, you're a misfit. You'll never amount to anything. But you show me a man that'll take your job and do it with all the discouragement that might come along. That's the man that God can honor with revival. Uncle Billy was that kind of a man. Right. He just stayed right at the job. As far as I know, he spent the rest of his life right there in that section of Pickens County. Died, probably buried right there at the little church. But that's faithfulness. And God honors that, you see. And here's a hopeless situation. A whole boneyard of dead bones. Disunited bones. And Ezekiel got a good vision of it. And he didn't run. He didn't resign. He didn't quit. He didn't come down to the pastor and weep on his shoulder. He didn't write the letters saying, please give me support. He just got busy with what he had and did what he could with what he had. You know, I get letters every week, and you young preachers learn now, learn this. I get preachers every week from boys who say, 
Now we're starting a church over one fellow up in New York City, riding down to South Carolina to get money to start a church in New York City with all those millions of people. And we're starting a church. Will, will you take us on monthly support? Now when I was your man, uh, you started the church and took yourself a job and worked and fed your family and preached on the side. That's what I had to do. But we wanted liberty to receive these, you know. We want a steady salary. We want a regular salary, a sufficient salary before we get it started. They want to just go out and start a church. They wanted you to work. I had to work several years after I became a preacher. No harm in that. I'd do that again if it was necessary. I wouldn't, wouldn't hesitate. Not at all. But why, why do you have to have it handed to you? You don't get churches that way. The churches that are permanent and that are blessed are churches that are born in great sacrifice. If you don't pay much sacrifice, you won't have much of a church. That's for sure. So there was a vision of the need, verses 1 and 2. The second, there was complete dependence upon God. In verse number 3, God said, Ezekiel, after he'd seen the situation, I looked over the valley thoroughly. He said, Ezekiel, can these dry bones live again? That's almost a foolish question, isn't it? And when Ezekiel heard that question come from God, he answered, Oh, Lord God, you know whether they can or not. As far as I'm concerned, they can't. As far as I'm concerned, they'll never live again. But Lord God, I know it. I don't have the answer. I don't have the ability. There's nothing I can do about it. You can do something about it. There's nothing I can do about it. Oh, Lord God, thou knowest. I'd like to say to you that revival is not the work of organization. Revival is not the work of religious machinery. Revival is not the advertising of a promotional committee. Revival is not a great evangelist, a great name evangelist, and a great name singer. Revival is not advertising. I want to say to you that revival is of God. That this valley would ever produce life. How could these dry bones ever get back together again? It doesn't look possible. And yet God said, can these dry bones live again? And Ezekiel had only one answer. Oh Lord, God, I know it. That was his way of saying, if they do, You'll have to do it. If they live again, you'll have to make them live. If they live again, I'm not capable. I'm not able. Lord, you know, he had complete dependence upon God. Now, there's one thing I want to say right at that particular point. So it is in 1985. If we get revival, we're going to be completely dependent upon God for it. I've seen some young preachers that are a bit cocky, a bit smart, too smart for their riches, I think. They know how. And they let you know that they know how. They walk around with that air of ability. And they demonstrate uh, the fact, at least they think they can demonstrate the fact, that we know how. We can do it. We can do it. Now that kind of attitude is wrong. Don't ever assume that kind of attitude. Oh, but preacher, I would have an inferiority complex if I was not positive in my thinking. Well, you can be positive in your thinking if you'll think about the Lord. But when you think about yourself, you need to be negative. 
there's not much good about you. There's not one of us able. Not one of us able. Only God can do it. A man cannot produce revival. A preacher cannot produce revival. If revival comes, it must come from God. Only God can do it. And a cocky preacher, or a preacher with a spirit of arrogance, or a spirit of pride, he's disqualified. God can't use you. You need to crawl in the dust. You need to get up on your knees or look up to God and say with Ezekiel, Oh, Lord God, you know, you know. You can do it. I can't. You can do it. I'm not able. You can do it. I can't do it. Only God can. That's the spirit that honors God, you see. And so there was complete dependence on the part of Ezekiel upon God. And we need to come to that same total dependence upon God. It's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. The arm of the faith is not sufficient to bring revival. Only God can revive. Right. And you know that. Only God can answer prayer. Don't ever get away from that. Only God can bless and link you. Don't ever get away from that. It's not done by human strength. Somebody said, I can do it. I can build a church. Well, I don't know whether you can or not. I don't know whether you can or not. I, I think God can use you if you'll get out of his way and let him. But I don't think you can build anything. You young preachers can build nothing. You don't build churches. You're not an evangelist. You don't win people to God. You don't pastor a congregation of people. If ever a man has to abandon himself, it's the man that gets into God's work. It's God's vineyard. It's God's labor. It's God's field. It's God's church. It's God's revival. It's God's people. And you're not a thing but a shepherd dog running herd on God's sheep. Only God can do it. There was keep complete dependence upon God. Then number three, there was preaching. In verse number seven, uh, and earlier, uh, God said, uh, Ezekiel, I want you to prophesy to these dry bones. I want you to prophesy. And that word prophesy doesn't mean to predict, but it means to preach. I want you to prophesy. In verse number four, prophesy unto these bones. Oh, ye dry bones, hear ye the word of the Lord. I want you to preach to this valley of dry bones. Now, I guess that was a real test on the part of Ezekiel. Can you imagine taking a pulpit and setting that pulpit up on the edge of a hillside and down below you there's a valley full of dead bones, disunited. A skull here, a skeleton here, a leg bone there, an ankle bone there, and all over the valley, dead bones. And God said, put up pulpit, Ezekiel, and take a text and preach, prophesy to this valley of dry bones. If ever a preacher want to run, I guess that would be the time to run and quit God. Why? Uh, that's impossible. What good would that do? A valley of dry bones. It's not for your reasoning. But God commanded it. God said, Ezekiel, prophesy to these dry bones. And that took some grace and faith on the part of Ezekiel to do that. Prophesy to these dry bones. Now preachers in our day, they won't do that. 
if they have a dry situation, a dead situation, they get them a club. And they come in the church with a club in their hand, and they beat the people of that club. They just lay the timber to them, and they whip them down uh, with that club, and they beat them with uh, that club. And they make out of them uh, an object of scorn and punishment. Uh, when it's not the preacher's job to do that. It's your job to give them bread. It's your job to give them milk. It's your job to give them meat. And when you take a club into a church and start beating people, you'll never have a revival. You're to preach to them, prophesy to them, preach them the word of God. Hear ye the word of the Lord, said God through Ezekiel to that pattern. Hear ye the word of the Lord. Not your ideas, not your judgment, not your club, but preach the gospel to them. There's nothing in the world that will bring revival like preaching. Preaching the gospel. I, I know how preachers feel. I feel sorry for many of them. I go into their churches and on a handful of people are there and they feel bad. And my heart goes out to them instead of that. Uh, because uh, their people don't support their meeting. And I feel, feel badly about it. But the pastor is not wise. He jumps on those that are there. And clubs them. And beats them. You don't get revival that way. Uh, it might be better to take the dozen two that may be present and break the bread of life to them. And feed them real good. Get them good and fat on the gospel. And you have a better chance building the church feeding what you have than beating them with a club. Now learn, young preacher. Learn Sunday school teacher. You don't build a Sunday school class by beating the people that you have. You better thank God that you have what you do have, you know. Uh, old Dr. Lincoln said he preached at church one time and a boy was lamenting the fact that he only had 45 in Sunday school. And he said, son, I fear to think of standing before the judgment of God responsible for 45. You better learn that lesson. Whether you have 45 or 400, you're going to have to give an account of how you handle the gospel to 45 people. And it's never right to beat them. If Ezekiel had gone out there and tried to beat those dry bones with a club, he'd never got the thing done. But God said, preach to them! Preach to them! And that took faith and grace on the part of the preacher to swallow his pride. A lot of preachers have to swallow their pride and preach to a valley of dead corpse like you was preaching to a, a thousand people alive and pulsating with light. You're not to have two sermons. You'll be the world's worst hypocrite if you preach one sermon to 50 people and another one to 500. Oh, you don't do that. You preach the same gospel to 50 that you'd preach to 500. With the same zeal and the same fervency. Don't beat the people. Feed them. Preach to them. I tell this story quite often. Years ago when Horace Jones was alive, he was thinking on the Brightsville Hour. I received a letter. This is back, this is back about 1946 or 7, somewhere along there. And that letter said, would you come and preach for us up here at Yesaluni, North Carolina? They said, we have a little tabernacle. And we'd like you to come and bring Horace Jones to say And I said, Horace, we'll go. And we drove up there. And they said, we'll have somebody meet you in Saluti and lead you out uh, to the uh, tabernacle. They hadn't have done that. We'll never found it, that's for sure. But we met the man in Saluti. 
left the Pays Highway and gone on dirt road and wound through those mountains that I thought we'd never arrive. And finally, we arrived at the little tabernacle made out of salvaged wood that they'd salvaged off of a burned building. It was covered with a burned out tin that they'd salvaged somewhere. It had no doors, no windows. It had an opening for the door and opening for the windows. It had no pews, but planks across some kind of an upright. An old piano was out of tune completely. And no lights or lamp or two around the tabernacle. Couldn't have seated over 50 or 60 people. And my spirit dropped within me. I didn't know what I was going into. But when I saw the situation, I said, Horace, you pray. And I'll pray for you while you sing. And I said, I want you to sing tonight as if you had a thousand people listening to you. Don't let this crowd affect you and me. You sing the best you have. And then when, it, when I get to preach, you pray that God help me to do the same thing. And Horace stood up and sang, no one ever gave me like Jesus. Sweetest I think I've ever heard in my life. And then when he got finished singing, I preached. And I tried to preach the gospel as perfectly as I would to you or anybody else. And I thank God for the opportunity. And when I finished preaching, they gave me a little brown pope. A little brown bag full of change for a love offering. Until this day, I have no idea how much money was in that bag. Going down the mountain, I sit in his lap. I said, you can have the money, whatever's in there. You can have it. I'd like to know. I was curious how much money. We couldn't have been much. I wish there had been a lot more of for deserving. But I just gave the love offering to him. And we came up the mountain thanking God for the privilege of preaching in that kind of a situation. You better learn the same thing, same lesson, you see. Preach. Don't beat the people. Don't insult the people. Don't play them down. Love them. Preach them. Build them up. Feed them. Fellowship with them. Shake hands with them. Weep with them. Shout with them. Pray with them. Live with them. Work with them. Don't beat the people. Love the people. So Ezekiel preached like God commanded. He preached a valley of dry bones like God commanded. Preaching is necessary. And so the Bible says in verse 7, So I prophesied as I was commanded. I wonder how many times he had to swallow his pride. Look at those dead bones. Don't get much inspiration from that, do you? No amen corner waving their hand at you. No choir singing amazing grace behind you. A valley of dead bones. Not even a deacon more. All the deacons were dead. Nobody. Just a deacon by himself. Why, the psychiatrists had found him out there. They'd have put him in the institution. Mentally insane. But he's not mentally insane. He's doing what God told him to do. You might as well say David Eden is insane. You might as well say that Jim Rose is insane. You might as well say the Margaret Stringer's insane. Are those dear missionaries out there doing what God commanded them to do? And wherever God may put you is where God wants you. And wherever that may be, do what God commands you to do. Revival will come when preaching is done. Preaching is necessary. There can be no revival apart from that. Now, note in the fourth place, there was a movie. The preaching got something done. Verse 7. As I preached, as I prophesied, 
said Ezekiel, there was a noise. And that thing was not only dry and dead, but it was quiet. About the quietest place I know of is Woodlawn Memorial Park. The next quietest place in Greenwood is Thomas McAvee. No noise there, brother. No noise around there. And the next quietest place I know of is Ezekiel's Boneyard. No noise around there. Nobody saying amen around there. A lot of churches hold it that way, you know. Don't get excited. Don't get enough religion to move. Just stay dead. Just stay dead. We have a beautiful situation. So nice and so quiet. Yeah, that's right. A lot of churches that way. Nice and quiet. And Ezekiel just kept on prophesying without any men, without a choir, without anybody to help it. Nobody smiled at him. Can you imagine a skeleton, a skull smiling? I don't know whether Ezekiel watched those skulls or not. I'm looking at your skull, but at least you have skin on your face and a good smile upon your face. But I don't think Ezekiel's congregation could smile back at him. He looked at them, but they gave no response. None at all. But he kept on preaching. He didn't stop preaching because they couldn't smile at him. Because he couldn't say amen. He just kept on preaching. Then after a while, he heard a noise. You know, I was up at McAfee's yesterday. And I walked into the back of the funeral home to see the body of Brother Lovell, of Mrs. McAllister's boy. And uh, there's nobody there. Nobody in the back of the funeral home. I was the only person in there. And I kept reading the signs on the on the door. And I saw Lovell. So I went in and saw his body. And I was the only person there. And I looked at his body. I mean, it stood and signed the register. I walked on through the funeral home. I thought nobody was there. I saw nobody. The office all did it, I guess, because it's Saturday. The office was deserted. If somebody stepped around the door and said, boo, right loud at me, I guess I'd have fallen in my tracks in that funeral home yesterday by myself. But I wonder what Ezekiel thought when he heard that noise. <laughs> I think his spirit picked up, to say the least. At least I've, at last I've got a draw out of them. Here's a noise. And then following that noise, there was a shaking. You saw an elbow do it that. You saw a knee do it that way. You saw a backbone kind of straighten up. You saw a skull straighten up. That's what the Bible says. And the bones came together. And all that excitement didn't stop me. He just kept on preaching, brother. And that's the time the preacher showed up. When you get a noise started, and people get moving. That's time to preach. Don't don't stop it. Old brother Greer down at Pelham. We used to sing. There's a fountain filled with blood. The people get happy. Or we'd sing Amazing Grace, and the people get happy. And we sing through the four stanzas. Old brother Greer said, "Sing another one. Don't change gear now." He said, "Never." He said, "Never change horse in the middle of the stream." He used to say, "Don't ever change horses." In the middle of the stream. If God's blessing, there's a fountain, sing six verses. Start over and sing the first one. The old brother was right. That's right. And when the, when the noise came and the moving came, Ezekiel just kept on preaching. After a while, things began to happen in that valley. And believe it or not, 
those bones came together and you had a valley full of skeletons. Well, he's not much better off. Now, when he started, you didn't have that. He had bones. But now he's got a valley of skeletons. But God said, uh, you're not finished yet. He said, uh, prophesy to the wind. God pulled the flesh and the sinew of the skin over the skeletons and you, now he has a valley of corpse. He's not much better off. He started with dry bones and now he's got a valley of corpse. Dead corpse. And God said, preach to the wind. Prophesy to the wind. Command the wind to come in to this valley of corpse. And breath came upon them. And they lived. That brings me to the fifth thing. There was life given. God gave life. Now God can do that. God can take an impossible situation and give life. Give revival. God can regenerate people. I stand amazed at how God can get people saved. I wish I could win people to God. I can preach to them. I can witness to them. I can pray for them. But I can't win them. But my great captain has a, a not a bit of trouble. He can get them with the greatest of ease. And when Jesus gets them, they stay kept. They stay in. Uh, my converts get in and out. Uh, one uh, drunk top, black Moody on the street of Chicago went inside and said, you remember me? And Mr. Moody said, no, I don't. He said, I'm one of your converts. He was drunk then. I'm one of your converts. And Moody said, you must have been mine. You're not God's. So my converts get drunk. But God's converts don't. When God gets a man saved, they stay saved. When God got you, he puts you in so firmly until you'll never get out. When God got me, he put me in so firmly until I don't want to get out. You don't want to get out either. His soul life was given. Revival will produce regeneration. But not only was there life given, but after the breath came in them, the Bible tells me in verse number 10, and they stood upon their feet. He started with nothing. He wound up with a great army, breathing, living, pulsating, standing up, an exceeding great army, a great demonstration, a valley full of people. He started with nothing, wound up with a valley full of people. But God did that. A revival can bring that kind of blessing upon a congregation. Oh, for revival, we ought to pray that God will give us a genuine old-time revival that will stir people and bring people to the Savior, bring people into the church, bring people to their feet to demonstrate to the glory and honor of God. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit knvbc.com for Christian music you can trust.